Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. If you have your Bible, you can open to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. This is the word of God. Thank you, George. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Hi, everybody. Good to see you all. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here with the Hope Collective. And you are jumping in with us in week seven of eight in a fall series that we've been doing on spiritual formation called Grow, Becoming More Like Jesus. And we have covered a lot of ground these past seven weeks. Some of you were like, Alex, you have no idea how much ground we've covered all together. Um, one of the really cool things that we get to do as a staff is that every Monday we get together and we get to share stories that we're hearing from the collective, stories of what God is doing, stories of conversations and interactions that are happening, and some of the stuff that we're hearing and the stories that are coming out from what happens when you guys are leaving this place. God is doing some really cool stuff. I don't know if you know this, but we've been able to track uh, all across our ministries with this. So George and the youth ministry have been incorporating this series into what they're doing on Wednesday nights with the youth. Kate and the kids ministry has been incorporating this into what happens downstairs on a Sunday morning. Our worship pastor, uh, Alex Hartman, said last service, it's still spiritual formation, just with a lot less Dallas Willard. Still happening. So we're, we're having these conversations as a church, and it's been so great to hear these stories that are coming out and the stories of life change of what God is doing. And as we get into next Sunday, when we talk about the role of the church in spiritual formation, we're going to have the opportunity to celebrate baptisms. During our 9 o'clock and our 11 o'clock service, the stories of men and women who have made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time and are taking that first step of obedience into celebrating that new life with the church and to make that public profession of faith. And the invitation I would have for you today is if God has been at work in your life over these past few weeks, and you've recently made a decision to follow Jesus, we'd invite you to sign up for those baptism services. There's still room to sign up because we want to celebrate with you the good work that God is doing and this new life that God has birthed in you as you've made this decision to follow Jesus. You've started a relationship with him, and you've also started a relationship with a family that loves you and wants to celebrate your movement towards Jesus. So if you're interested in signing up for that baptism service, you can learn more out at the community corner or you can visit thehopeco.com baptism. We would love to walk this journey with you and celebrate the story of what God has been up to. So next week, like I said, we get to talk about the role of the church in spiritual formation. This week, we get to have a conversation about spiritual disciplines. And there is a reason that we have waited until week seven of eight to have this conversation. 
What we've been doing for the past six weeks is really kind of tilling up the soil of our understanding and our perspective on what it means to become more like Jesus, creating awareness about the work that God wants to do before we ever have a conversation about the actions that we take to partner with the Holy Spirit's work in us. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of condemnation, that can come into a conversation about spiritual disciplines if we just jumped into the conversation there. And that's why we've taken so long to get to this point to talk about the actions that we take to partner with the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us so that he can do a greater work through us. And it is part of the conversation. And so what we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to talk about what are spiritual disciplines, how do we engage with them, and what is the one thing that is going to keep each and every one of us in this room from saying yes to these invitations to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. That's going to be our roadmap for today. We're going to talk about what the spiritual disciplines are, how we engage with them, and the one thing that's going to keep each and every one of us from saying yes to this. And here's what I want us to believe with. There is no progress without practice. In anything you've ever done in your life where you have made a commitment to grow and become better at something or become more at something, there has been intentionality and effort and energy that you've had to bring to the equation because there is no progress without practice. And that's what the spiritual disciplines are. They're the practices associated with the spiritual life. But here's also what we want to communicate right off the bat. Anytime we enter into a conversation about spiritual disciplines, automatically the filter that most of us will have is that this is a conversation about doing something more. And here's what we want to say. My heart is a pastor. Our heart is a church. Is that when you leave these doors today, you will not feel the pressure to do more. You will actually feel the freedom to do less. That's our heart. And so please, let's just keep this in mind as we have the rest of this conversation. Our heart and our desire as we leave this place is that we would not feel the pressure to do more, but that we would feel the freedom to do less. This is a conversation that we need to have about spiritual practices, but we've waited this long for a few really important reasons. But let's jump in and talk about what are spiritual disciplines, how do we engage with them, and what is the one thing that's going to keep each and every one of us from saying yes to these invitations from Jesus. So what are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines are the practical ways that we place ourselves before God so that he can do his work in us. Spiritual disciplines are the practical ways that we place ourselves before God so that he can do his work in us. We've talked about how the power of of spiritual formation is the Holy Spirit, how he is the one doing the work and we are collaborating with him. This is a partnership, the work that God wants to do in the world and the work that he wants to do in us. He is the one doing the work, we are the ones joining him and the way that we practically say yes to that is through the spiritual disciplines of opening ourselves to the work that God wants to do in us so that he can do his work through us. They are the things that only we can do that allow God to do the things that only he can do. And when we look to scripture to see these places where our energy and our intentionality and our effort into our own spiritual growth and life, we go to places like Second or 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. Paul writing to his protege, Timothy, he says this, 
Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Do not invest your energy and your intentionality into the stuff that doesn't actually matter. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good. Hear that following the Hope Fitness announcement, right? Physical training is good and... Training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. I love that Paul says that, because it's like he just said something. He's like, ooh, that was good. Preach that. Remember that, everybody. Okay, Paul, I guess you have the freedom to do that. You did write most of the New Testament, so okay, whatever. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. And this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. There is energy and effort and intentionality that God invites us to put towards our own spiritual growth. And the idea that God's grace to us is what is helping us to grow, and our effort is what's invited into the conversation. These two ideas of God's grace and our effort are not mutually exclusive. We do not come into our spiritual life solely relying on a complete openness and just, God, snap your fingers and make me more like Jesus. There is an invitation from him that allows us to partner with the work that he wants to do in us so he can do his work through us. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Great Omission, he puts it this way. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is an attitude. You have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. Men and women who understand the grace of God in their life and the invitation to participate in what God wants to do in and through them put their effort and their energy and their intentionality towards joining God at work, not because of out of obligation, not because they think that's what they should do, not to work on self 2.0, but to be open and available to the work that God wants to do in every single part of them so that they can be part of expressing God's goodness into every corner of creation. But for lots of people who become interested in the idea of spiritual formation, their first encounter with the idea is usually through a conversation on the spiritual disciplines. A lot of the literature that's out there in the spiritual formation genre has to do with these practices that we can adopt in becoming more like Jesus. And so most people who get exposed to this idea come through it from that direction. I know that was the story for me. So I am a spiritual formation pastor today because in the summer of 2011, I found myself in what was one of the driest and most confusing points of my entire spiritual life. I just graduated Bible college. My wife and I had been married for a couple years, jumped into my first ministry role, and within nine months, I was out, feeling like I couldn't hack it. And so much was asked and demanded and expected of me that I didn't know going into it that I quit and ended up in this place where my wife and I were both working minimum wage jobs, we're living in a trailer, and we're just really confused and asking God You know, I'm not quite sure what we said yes to when we said we would do anything for you, but it didn't look like this in our minds. And just felt in this really stuck place where I was waiting for God to do something. I was waiting for him to snap his fingers and make me more like Jesus. I wanted to be more like Jesus. I had that desire, but I just didn't know when it was going to happen, what it was supposed to look like. 
And so I found myself one day in our local thrift store in the town that I grew up in, uh, in the book section, because reasons. And I found a copy of Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline for 25 cents. Spending a quarter on that book at the local thrift store, it is not an understatement to say that it changed the trajectory of my life. Because I was exposed to this idea that while I thought I was waiting on God to snap his fingers and make me more like Jesus, he was actually waiting on me to accept his invitation to partnership in the journey of becoming more like his son. And the sense of ownership and agency and the freedom to say yes to the work that God wanted to do changed so much. My circumstances didn't change in that season. It took a while for that to become where we're at today. But something inside me changed when I was able to say yes to this invitation from Jesus. For a lot of people who become exposed to the idea of spiritual formation, this is where they enter into the conversation. And yet, we've waited seven weeks to have this conversation. And there's two main reasons for doing that. The first is that without a context of spiritual formation in general and the purpose and the pattern and what God wants to do and how this takes place in stages and seasons with the uniqueness of our personalities and our stories coming to bear with our humanity, all of it together, without context of spiritual formation as a whole, we tend to believe that simply practicing the disciplines is enough. As if all that God was interested in is our doing, not our becoming. We forget that some of Jesus' strongest rebukes were for people who had very strong religious disciplines and very weak Christian character. In John 5, Jesus, in a conversation with the Pharisees, says that they're really good at knowing Scripture, but somehow missed knowing God in the midst of all of that. In Luke 18, he goes through and systematically tears down their reliance on their prayer disciplines, their fasting disciplines, and their tithing disciplines because they have not become people of kindness and compassion towards the world around them and of humility before God. Spiritual disciplines are not the means by which we prove ourselves to God or work on ourselves. They are simply the means by which we allow God to do his work in us. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster puts it this way. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground where things grow. They put us where he can work within us and transform us. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. Rather than sort of executing the discipline itself, there is something more that God has in store as we participate in the work that he wants to do that goes beyond the practice itself and gets into this place of transformation and helping us adopt the character of God becoming true of us for the sake of the world. And as God is doing in that in us, I love that Foster uses this imagery of getting into the ground where things grow. We've talked about this idea of the tree. And how we can learn so much about what it means to grow as humans in a relationship with God by looking at these things that have been present in the human story from the very beginning and will be present into eternity. Trees do not produce fruit by simply focusing on producing fruit. Trees do not produce fruit because they just stand there in the middle of the forest and say, and fruit. That's not how it works. So much of a tree's energy goes into not producing fruit, 
but into growing towards sources of life. That's why trees devote so much of their energy towards deepening their roots to soak up the nutrients and the water in the soil, even going so far as to growing in certain directions where they know life can be found. So much of a tree's energy goes into growing branches and producing leaves so it can catch the sun and continue to produce life, even so much that if there is a place where there is shade and it can't catch life, it won't grow in that direction because there's no life there. So it puts its energy towards growing towards other sources of life where it know it can be found. Fruit just happens as a result of finding a deeper connection to sources of life. When we talk about the spiritual disciplines, this is the idea that we have in mind is that the disciplines are not meaningful in and of themselves. They're just the way that we get to connect deeper and deeper towards the source of life. So the reason we've waited to talk this long about spiritual disciplines is because without context of spiritual formation, we'll think that what God really just wants is the doing and not the becoming. But the second reason is this. Without the context of personality and story and stages and seasons of our spiritual life and the dynamics of how all of this works out, without all of that context, we will end up with a very narrow view of which activities count as spiritual formation activities and which ones don't. And here's the unfortunate thing that's happened. is because the way that God got this conversation back into the church was from men and women who liked to read about the history of spiritual formation and spiritual practices and then went on to write books about spiritual formation and spiritual practices. And they wrote those books from their personality, which was the personality type that likes to read and write books about spiritual formation and spiritual practices. And the people who picked up those books were people who liked to read books about spiritual formation and spiritual practices. And then those people went on to craft a vision of spiritual formation that works really, really well if you have a personality type that likes to read and write books on spiritual formation. And guess what? That's not everyone. And so that's why some of us in this room, when we've had people talk to us and cast a vision for the spiritual life, it's like, well, if you really want to follow Jesus and be close to him, you just got to like go out into the woods for 24 hours by yourself with nothing but your Bible and fast and total silence. And you're like, you know what? I think I'd rather just die. (laughs) Skip all that and just see Jesus. That sounds easier. But we've had this vision presented to us of the spiritual life that is this myth of a one-size-fits-all approach to spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines that works really, really well for some and not at all for others. Our personalities come to bear on our spiritual journey. The stages and seasons of our life demand different disciplines and have different invitations and challenges depending on that season. It is way more dynamic than we thought. Not a one-size-fits-all approach, but a custom-designed path from the God of the universe who knows us at the deepest parts of who we are and has a plan for us that is us, not anyone else, but you, with everything that you bring to the table, becoming more like And if we don't have an understanding of how all of this is way more dynamic than we've been led to believe, we will think that it's supposed to look a certain way when there is so much more liberty and freedom than we often realize. We cannot believe that simply practicing the disciplines is enough, and we need to get away from this perspective of spiritual practices that narrow it down to a set list of certain things that if you don't do these things, you are not a follower of Jesus or not growing in the faith. 
There has to be something behind and beneath these spiritual practices. Whichever ones you're thinking of, whether it's prayer or scripture or Sabbath or solitude, being in community, being alone, whatever it is, whatever practice you would bring to the table, there has to be something underneath it that actually makes it effective to spiritual growth. Because there are people in this world that know their Bibles better than anybody in this room and have hearts that are a million miles away from Jesus. There are people who have fervent prayer lives that are so self-focused that they wouldn't know the voice of the Holy Spirit because they're so consumed with their own voice. There has to be something going on underneath these practices, a posture of the heart that allows them to be effective. And so any conversation about spiritual disciplines that we have has to be less about perfecting spiritual technique and more about practicing a posture of the soul that allows God to do his work in us. So what does that look like? We talked about what are spiritual disciplines, not just a list of accepted practices, but this idea of there are practical ways that God is inviting us to partner with the work that he wants to do in us. So how do we do that? What is the posture that we need to take going into these practices that actually makes them effective for spiritual growth? And if I can, I want to riff on this idea uh, we had Hope Fitness talked about earlier, right? And this idea of whenever we go to grow, whenever we go to practice something, If we take this fitness idea for an example, you can imagine two different kinds of people coming from two different places to want to grow in this area. The first person that you can imagine is someone who goes into this this practice, this exercise routine, this fitness lifestyle with this just kind of vague sense that I should probably exercise because I think it's good for me. Someone somewhere told me that this is probably a good idea, so I'm, I'm gonna try and do that. And they say that they're going to do this, and then they invest all of their time into all of the gear. And so they get all of the clothes, they get the stuff, they get the gym. Some of you know these people. Some of you are these people, actually. You're like, you're describing me every January, actually. But you get all the gear, you get the gym membership, you get the trainer, and let's say you show up to the gym on your first day and your trainer's like, okay, here are the five exercises you need to do. And if you just do these five things every day for the rest of your life, you'll be physically fit. We can all imagine that kind of scenario, some with a little bit more uh, experience coming to the table than others. But then I want you to imagine somebody who goes into this lifestyle saying, you know what, I'm here for a reason. I, I, wanna, I wanna lose 20 pounds. I wanna run a marathon. I've never done that before. I wanna challenge myself in that way. I just wanna pick up my grandkids without being sore the next day. But there's this very clear sense of purpose. Here's what I want this to do. And what if that person, rather than focusing on all of the gear, actually put their attention towards understanding how physical growth happens? Let's take muscle growth specifically. Muscle growth always happens in the same ways. First, you have to overwork your muscles from their current capacity. Then you enter into a time of rest, which requires rest and nutrition. That's where recovery happens. And then as a result of that recovery, your muscles actually grow and give you a greater capacity to exercise and the whole thing carries on again. What if you introduced yourself to those practices and understood these principles of muscle growth, then all of a sudden it's not five exercises you're doing for the rest of your life. All of a sudden you have an entire gym that's available to you because you understand how growth happens in the first place. You're not just focusing on the things you think you have to do in this vague sense of, man, this is probably a good idea and I should probably say yes to it. That doesn't last very long. So what are the principles that we can understand 
that go behind these spiritual practices that actually make them effective for spiritual growth? What are these practices, these postures of the soul that we can talk about? I want to give you five things. Five principles for spiritual growth, whatever practice you're adopting, five postures of the soul that allow God to do his work in us. Intentionality, presence, awareness, openness, and community. Intentionality, presence, awareness, openness, and community. First posture we take, the first principle of spiritual growth is intentionality. Spiritual disciplines happen on purpose and for a purpose. Because the spiritual life does not come naturally. The default of our heart is to be turned away from God. And so in order to turn towards God, there are decisions that need to be made. There are choices that have to happen. And so there are commitments involved in the spiritual life. There are habits that are involved, some even going so far as developing a rule of life, which is a habit system for your entire day, month, year. These ideas of intentionality have to go behind our spiritual practices because you have never met an accidental saint. Everyone who has grown in godliness has had to make choices and decisions to place themselves before God, and some things are just too important to be left to our spontaneous desire. There are choices and commitments that are part of the spiritual life in order to place ourselves before God so that he, he can do his work. We intend, we choose to spend time doing particular practices, which leads to the second principle, which is presence of self. What does it look like for we, us to engage in any spiritual practice, regardless of what it is, bringing our entire integrated self into that moment? Week four, we talked about the soul map, right? You are a soul. You have a mind. You have a heart. You have a body. You have a will. So what does it look like in any moment that I choose to spend time with God, that I make the intentionality behind this practice to come with all of my thoughts, with all of my emotions, with my desires and expectations, my habits and sensations? What does it look like for me to bring my entire self into this moment so that my entire self is available to God? If I'm just here reading my Bible with my mind, but I'm not letting it touch my heart, I'm not fully open to the work that God wants to do. Because he wants to work with all of me, not just part of me. Because he made all of me, he loves all of me, and all of it is being shaped into the image of Jesus. So what does it look like for me to bring my entire self into these moments with God? Intentionality and presence gives way to awareness. Presence is about us being fully present. Awareness is about becoming aware of God's presence with us. Spiritual disciplines give us a greater sense of God's presence and character in that moment. And if we can practice a discipline without paying attention to the presence of God, it may be time to evaluate what we're doing. If this has become so routine that I can just do it without even realizing that God's here with me, there's a pause that needs to take place. If I'm just rushing through this because I think it has to be done, but I'm not aware of the God who's actually inviting me to sit down and spend time with him, there's some changes that need to be made. Intentionality, presence, and awareness, the fourth principle of growth is openness. As we engage with any spiritual discipline, we need to do so being receptive to whatever God wants that time to be. 
Often in the earlier stages of our spiritual growth, we come into our interactions with God with these unconscious expectations and desires that we only become aware of when they're not met. And so then I come out of my quiet time or out of this prayer moment or out of community disappointed because what I wanted to happen didn't happen. And because what I wanted to happen didn't happen, I'm just going to give up because I didn't get what I wanted out of that. But there's this change that happens when we think about this as placing ourselves before God so that he can do his work and taking a posture of openness instead of demand that we come into those moments not saying, God, here's what I want to happen, but saying, God, what do you want this moment to be? You know me better than anyone. You know what just happened. You know what's going to happen. What do you want this moment to be? So we enter into any moment of spiritual practice with a sense of openness. That does not mean that we don't make our requests before God. Philippians 4 is very clear about that. It says, make your requests before God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus in Luke 11 says, you have a good father who wants to give you good things. So ask your good father for good things and he will give you the best things, even if they're not the things you originally asked for. But oftentimes we bring our requests and our desires and our expectations to God more for a sense of unburdening so that my anxious thoughts and my concerns and my cares and my distractions can get out of the way so that I can be fully present with the God who made me and knows me and loves me. Finally, intentionality, presence, awareness, and openness is done in the context of community. We learn the spiritual disciplines and the spiritual life from others, sometimes directly in relationship, sometimes indirectly, through books, classes. But we always are learning the spiritual life from someone. We are practicing them together, and we are sharing the stories with others. We have to understand that the family of God is an essential part of our spiritual formation. And the conversations about spiritual formation for so long have existed as sort of this one-dimensional, it's me growing my relationship with God, but there's so much more that God has in store for us in this idea of what's been called spiritual formation as if the rest of the church mattered. Barry Jones, in his book, Dwell, Life with God for the Sake of the World, he puts it this way, because the pervasive understanding of salvation in North American Christianity tends to focus so narrowly on one's personal relationship with Jesus, our understanding of the Christian life tends to focus narrowly on one's own individual spiritual journey. But this reflects a way of thinking and being in the world that is more American than it is Christian. We ought not think of spiritual disciplines primarily in terms of private spiritual practices that help me shape and sustain my life with God, but as the church's practices that help us shape and sustain our life with God. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that the only way to engage with the work that God wants to do is to be actively with people in that moment. That doesn't mean that you can only pray when you're with someone else. Because those of you that are introverts are like, that sounds like torture. (laughs) But it means that our spiritual practices in this life of faith is something that we get to share with the family of God. When I go into a time of prayer, I go in informed by the conversations that I've had with people that I get to bring before God. I may get a word from God for someone that I get to go and then share with them. 
If you're reading scripture, you get to come and you get to share what you're learning and what you're seeing about God with the rest of the community. And the rest of the community gets to share that with you so that we can see a side of God that we may not have seen before. We get to do this thing together because the role of the church is essential in our spiritual formation. And the way that this looks, we're going to spend some time talking about next week. When we talk about the role of the church in spiritual formation, the church as family, which is one thing, and the church as institution, which is a different thing. Related, but different. We'll be talking more about that next week. But these postures of the soul that we take, regardless of whatever spiritual practice we're engaged with, a posture of intentionality, of presence, of awareness, of openness, and community. These are the ways that we engage with whatever spiritual discipline we're engaging with. And that will change based on our personalities, the stages and seasons that we're in. And to be clear, there will be things about the life of faith that will be the same for all of us, right? Because just like each one of us is unique, and not all of us are alike, we are all the same. At the end of the day, we have a mind, we have a heart, we have a body, we have a will. And so the four things that will never change, that we will always engage with, no matter what practice we're involved with, will be God's word, the mind, God's people, heart, and relationships, God's work, my bodies, and my, act, my actions in the world, and then God's spirit, the transformation of my will to be like his. We will always engage with these four things, but the way that we engage that will look different in stages and seasons for different personalities, areas of growth, and areas of challenge. But the way that we come into those conversations has less to do with the perfection of a spiritual technique and more about practicing a posture of the heart. To come into these moments intentionally, fully present, aware of God's presence, open to what God wants to do in that moment, and shared with the life of the whole in community. And in doing that in those practices, the Holy Spirit teaches us how to approach the rest of life. To not just take my intentionality and my presence and awareness of God and openness and community just in that moment, but to see that in my entire life and to have a way of being that is on purpose and for a purpose. To come into every moment with my full presence. To be aware of the presence of God as much as I'm able in every moment of my day. To be open to what God wants to do in that moment and to share that with the life of the whole. Spiritual practices train us for godliness, not just in that moment, but for our entire way of life. But as much as we have a conversation about what the spiritual disciplines are, and as much as we talk about how we engage with them, there's a great big elephant in the room, which is the one thing that is going to keep each and every one of us from saying yes to these invitations and the practical ways to allow God to do his work in us. We are all so busy. Especially here in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, where we emphasize efficiency and optimization, hustle, getting things done. Each and every one of us in this room already feel like there are so many commitments and habits and obligations and responsibilities on our plates already that to add one more thing would be a chore. There's a growing consensus in authors and writers and thinkers of spiritual formation that is really decades old 
that talks about this idea of moving into spiritual disciplines. While we think that it may involve doing more, it's really at the outset an exercise in doing less. And how maybe, just maybe, in the culture that we're in, in an age of unparalleled speed and choice and opportunity and connectivity and availability, the most important disciplines for our souls will not be those of addition, but of subtraction. This is not a new idea. In scripture, there is a a refrain that goes through, especially in the life of Jesus, that any time we go to take up the things of God, there is first of all required a setting down of things that are that are taking us away from him. So when Jesus invites his first disciples to follow him, Matthew 4, verse 20, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, before they say yes to following Jesus, they have to lay down their fishing nets. Say no to something that matters. Say no to something that's good. Say no to something that is important so they can say yes to the most important thing, the best thing, the source of life. Romans 13, 12 Paul puts it like this, the night is almost gone, the day of salvation will soon be here, so remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes, put off the things that take you away from God, and put on the shining armor of right living. Colossians 3, 9 and 10, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature with all its wicked deeds, put on your new nature, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. The author of Hebrews Chapter 21, verse 1, talking about the race that God has marked out for us. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, no matter what it is, but especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And then 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. Endure suffering along with me, says Paul to Timothy. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. For many of us, before we start doing anything else, there are some things that we need to stop doing. And honestly, that's a lot harder of a conversation than if we were to say, just go out and do more. Because there are a lot of us in this room that have filled our life with good things and have somehow missed out on the best things. So the question that I would leave you with to wrestle with this week What needs to stop so you can grow? A very simple question that requires some deep thinking and conversation with your community, prayer before God. What needs to stop so you can grow? We've accumulated over time so many habits and commitments and relationships that again are not bad things, but they are crowding out the space that God is inviting us to be in a posture before him where he can do his best work. So how do we do this? We pray. We simply ask the Holy Spirit to help us answer the question, how is this thing, whatever it is, this relationship, this obligation, this commitment, this experience, this habit, this practice, how is this thing helping me become more like Jesus? How do you know if you're becoming more like Jesus? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is this thing helping me become that kind of person? If it's not, is this the thing that needs to stop so that you can grow? There is no progress without practice. But in order for us to say yes to the work that God wants to do, 
there are some things that we will probably have to say no to. And that will look different. This will look different for everyone in this room, from the stay-at-home mom who's finally sent her kids off to college and has a newfound openness in her schedule and energy to bring to the table, than it will for the 30-year-old dad invested in his career who's managing what it looks like to live on three hours of sleep. Yes, Steve Weber, I'm talking about you. (laughs) Just had 12 years. There you go. It'll look different from those two. It'll look different for the high school student that's trying to navigate how do I maintain deep friendships? What do I do with my family? How do I get into college? How do I pay for college? How do I make it to practice? And then what does Jesus have to do with all of that? This will look different for everybody in the room. It's a question that I can't answer for you, but a question that needs to be wrestled with before we talk about how we can we say yes to the work that God wants to do. What needs to stop so you can grow? And as we send you out with that question to answer this week, I would love to pray for you. Some of you are like, yes, please. So as we dismiss, and again, hear our hearts, our desire is that when you show up here next Sunday, if you would show up in the freedom of knowing that you have to do less, not feeling the pressure to do more, but in the less that you're doing, you know that you have committed to the sources of life that are the best thing. I invite you to stand. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing us into a relationship with you through the power of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of our lives. Thank you that you have decided not to leave us where we are in our brokenness and hurt and dysfunction, but you step in with an invitation to life to the full. And thank you that this is something that you just not snap your fingers and change things, but you invite us into the dignity and the honor of being part of the process. So for each and every one of us in this room, God, brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters, we ask that you would lead us into this week and that we would feel that freedom to do less, not the pressure to do more. So I ask on behalf of the Hope Collective that you would help us to hear your voice clearly this week, that those things that need to stop so that we can grow would become very, very evident to us. But even as we ask for clarity, Lord, we ask for courage because those choices will cost us something. But just as the man who sold everything he had to buy a treasure in the field that he knew was worth more than anything he had ever attained up to that point, may we see a deeper life with you in that same regard that we would sell everything to be with you. Clarity and courage, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the hope of the character and promises of God, we ask these things and say amen. Amen. Love you, Hope Collective. We'll see you next week. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.